Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, everyone. And welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist, with me, your host, Chloe Timms. This week, I'm talking to Stephanie Soden about her psychological suspense novel, After Everything You Did. Stephanie grew up in Manchester and studied history and politics at Durham University, before later moving on to magazine journalism. Food is a passion of hers too, and before the pandemic, she ran her own catering company. In this episode, we discuss how Stephanie makes her psychological suspense fresh by setting it in the past, why cooking makes such a good companion for writing, and my favourite bit of advice for writer's block so far. But first, here's Stephanie with an excerpt from After Everything You Did. March 1966. It was a slow amble towards consciousness. The world gradually brightened, sound crept in down her ear canal, light pried apart her lashes demanding entrance. Sleep encrusted her eyelids and she felt them crunch as they pulled apart, one eye refusing her effort, her skin weighed down by fatigue. The square grey ceiling tiles blurred into detail. She didn't recognise them. But then, she wasn't sure what she would recognise. She turned her head to one side and a soft pain pushed into her from beneath thick bandages. A worn green curtain was pulled around her, the sound of someone clattering about on the other side. She was in a bed, she realised that now. Outstretched on a thin, firm mattress, her sore head propped up by a flat pillow. In fact, her entire body was sore. Her skin itched and burned, her joints ached, her insides rumbled. A phantom piece of fluff flitted around her nose. Her face was swaddled heavily in dressings and bandages, but the tip of her nose itched all the same. Instinct moved her hand. Metal stayed her wrist. Another attempt. Another rattle of metal against metal. She was shackled, handcuffed to the bed. What the fuck had happened? The sound of the curtain pulling back, light aluminium coils against the rail. The swoosh of cheap fabric. Ah, you're awake then, a voice said, impassive, professional. Not the sympathetic tone she would expect, considering. A white tunic moved closer and inspected the tube snaking into her arms, its host marking something down on a clipboard. How are you feeling? The voice demanded. She opened her mouth, but sandpaper scratched against her vocal cords. A dry gurgle scaped out. There's water here for you, the nurse said, picking up a plastic tumbler and holding it against her cracked lips. The water tasted stale and warm. It must have been out since she'd arrived. When had she arrived? That question had no answer that would make sense. Time was immaterial. Days, months, years were blank. What had happened before the hospital? 
She could conjure a general image of the world, buses, roads, televisions, restaurants, trees, people, but she couldn't place herself in it. She understood the concept of the hospital. She knew the nurse was there to help her. She knew that something bad had happened for her to be there, but she didn't know what or why, or even who. It would come back to her. Of course it would. An entire life didn't just disappear. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today to talk about your debut novel, After Everything You Did. Hi, it's really nice to be here. Um, Yeah, very excited. So we're going to have to be careful with your novel because we don't want to give away any of the twists in it. So we'll might tiptoe around some of the plot points, but can you start by telling us, giving us a brief outline about what the novel is about? Yeah, so it's um, the story of a young woman, she's 19, um, who which wakes up in hospital with no memories and she is told she's been in a car crash and she's handcuffed to the bed and that the FBI have been on her trail for months um, because she's apparently killed two girls, two more are missing and one who was in the car crash with her has managed to survive. Um, but she doesn't remember anything that's happened. And um, Rita's story is largely about her coming to terms with accepting what she's done while all like all along she feels inside that she is good and doesn't understand how could she could have sort of been driven to these things. So she reaches out to a journalist called Carol um, just to help find out who she is. And then they start to work together to find out the reasons why, which leads you back to her past and her upbringing and explanations of why. <laughs> yeah, that opening image of Rita waking up having completely no idea about what's gone on and being accused of these horrendous crimes is such a gripping opening that from page one you're desperate to find out the truth of the situation so was that your seed of inspiration is that where the story all began or was there another place where this novel idea started from yeah it it was always going to start with her waking up because I think I agree it it sort of immediately creates this even though they say number one writing rules never have your protagonist oh, that true, yeah. this thing and I was like all right I'm gonna have to break it um but basically I was very interested in sort of the idea of nature versus nurture and why you do bad things and I thought um you know amnesia is such a good tool to be able to have that person themselves go on that journey and try to be the one to discover um, why they've done a bad thing it's not about someone on the outside figuring out it's about them And so I sort of knew that she was going to have to wake up not understanding anything and in in this like mysterious world. And so I did do a bit of research on amnesia and kind of was like, oh, God, how much will she have to how much will she know? How much will she have forgotten? And, um, you know, found that she will generally they generally understand how to interact with the world. But it's their own personal memories Mm. that have gone, which obviously worked brilliantly in terms of, you know, wanting to explore nature and nurturing is she the same person who did those crimes um and I think I'd actually for some of it I'd, I'd read a news story about someone who'd got really drunk and attacked a housemate when they were blackout drunk and didn't remember it at all and that was their defense in court and I was like oh that's sort of not that I've ever attacked a housemate but it you know resonates when you think when I think back to like my student days and I was like I think the most embarrassing thing I ever did was probably text someone I wasn't meant to, but you do kind of wake up in the morning and go, oh my God, did I do that? And like, you, you don't, you, you know, it's, it feels like a very disconcerting thing. Um, and so, and also, so a few years ago, my dad had a, a bad um, car, um, bike accident. He was knocked off his bike and he, he was in hospital for a few days and then he just, he doesn't remember the whole week that his first week back at home. 
and he's just like it's weird and I was like well you were moving around and talking and like just behaving normally but he's got no memory of it and it's I think to think that you could have possibly done something is I think a very interesting kind of idea. Mm. You mentioned the nature and nurture being the kind of central theme in your novel and and about how you did kind of research on an amnesia so did you read around other real life cases to help you with Rita's story about kind of what makes someone evil or wicked I suppose um yes not nothing specifically the exact same as as the crimes that Rita's committed Mm -hmm. um but you know I think sort of being interested in that time period as well as like the 60s and 70s and on a college campus it was sort of rife fertile ground for serial killers and so I've done I know I've listened to a lot of podcasts and and read a lot of true crime books about serial killers around that time and one of the things I was interested in with that was the idea of FBI profiling and how I think it comes across sometimes as a bit of a pseudoscience and how I originally one of the ideas I wanted was to do it's a college campus that, um, in America and there's all these young women who have been killed and the FBI profiler as they have done with many cases beforehand go okay it's a, a guy in a middle-aged man who lives with his mother and you know, all these drives a white van or whatever. And then to completely subvert it and be like, no, she fits the victim profile. Like people do bad things for so many different reasons. Um, so I sort of read a lot of serial killer stuff for that angle, which eventually fell by the wayside in this novel, but it did give me a good grounding of um, kind of what changes in people's brains. Um, but yeah, once I came up with Rita's motive, that sort of took over everything. Mm-hmm. And so you've obviously got an interest in the true crime stuff and the serial killer stuff. So psychological suspense, then, has that always been your your main love? Is that the genre you always wanted to write in or did that come as a surprise to you, perhaps? Um, so I think, to be honest, I think I was very green on what the different genres are when I first <laughs> started writing. But crime was definitely always, um, you know, my main interest and where I wanted to write I I sort of had played about with different things when I was younger I'd had a couple of like young like young adult ideas when I was at uni a sci-fi idea that they just never really got off the down they were just like little musings but then as soon as I sort of realized or maybe I could write crime and maybe I could write historical crime I sort of played around and came up with a full first kind of idea for not this novel but a different one and it was a murder mystery set on the front line in world war one and it just suddenly flowed and I just thought, I mean, it's not very good, it will never see the light of day. But <laughs> something about that and having almost the structure of a murder mystery against the backdrop of a historical setting I was interested in just suddenly made it incredibly enjoyable um, and an interesting thing for me to do in my spare time, which is what writing has just basically been for me for so long. So I think, yeah, it was like pairing historical and crime, which was the revelation and so then it morphed into psychological thrillers as I started to be more interested in the psychology of um, serial killers and stuff like that Um, but I don't think I necessarily knew it was that when I started writing I just thought Mm. I was writing a crime book (laughs) (laughs) but I I still love a classic crime mystery style as well Mm. and the the great skill of this kind of genre is the the drip feeding of information and the twists and the turns so there's a lot of secrets obviously in your novel and you do hold back the truth for a lot of the novel as well. Um, so was that hard to kind of 
to hold back to to keep the secrets of the novel without giving them away too early so interestingly I so there was a lot of restructuring and edits um and so it's one of those things that I seem I, I I'm not really a, a plan I don't have a structure before going in so I tend to do it a lot um as I've been writing I write a first draft and go back and mess it around and stuff but one of the, the interesting things that you I drip feeder is that the manuscript we submitted I kind of kept everything until the very end um, and so my editor I was very lucky to, to work with a very experienced and lovely editor and she kind of said I think there are some bits that you can bring in earlier on that I was kind of like just just tell the story and then bam the last quarter is just mm. information overload and so I think once she'd sort of helped me realize what can be brought more forward to help sort of create this undulating effect of like reveals so it's in three parts and there's like a reveal sort of at the end of each part and then after that it helped me go back in and sort of pare back anything that might be too spoilery maybe add in something else that was a bit more cryptic a bit more cluey that you might have want to form your own opinions on so yeah it was basically all in the editing all in the structuring um and the first draft was just like a waffle <laughs> of my brain <laughs> So, okay, we've established you're not much of a planner then. So when you were starting to write, did you just kind of let the story go where it wanted to go? Did you have a, did you have a plan in your head? You just hadn't written it down. Yes, I think probably that I did have, so I knew the characters um, I had, they sort of probably started and I let them just kind of walk around my head for a little while. Um, and then I kind of had, I think I probably had maybe one A4 size page of a notepad written down. She wakes up and then this is why she did it. These are the people she killed. This is the end. And that was basically it. But I think I do, I write probably not in the most efficient way in that I just keep writing. And I, I think I will build as I go which I know that I think it is not the most efficient way, but it seems to be the only way I can do it. And it's the only way that I think I kind of enjoy. Um, and I have, you know, I probably got another book again of things that I have rewritten and cut out and haven't made the final, um, haven't made the final copy. So yeah, I'm not really a planner. I, I plant sting the term. I don't entirely know what a pantster does, but yeah, I kind of have an <laughs> idea that let the characters make their own way. You, you, it means you write by the seat of your pants is what it yeah. means <laughs> so you're, no, you're one I'm, of those I'm a bit that but I sort of <laughs> where, where that where I need them to end up <laughs> <laughs> you've got the main story in your kind of first draft but then when does when do characters like Carol come into it because she's more of a I guess a side character I want to talk about her a little bit so she's quite an unusual character for the for the setting she's a, a female journalist she's mixed race so obviously that's she herself is quite kind of controversial because she stands out within her career and really fights to kind of uh, make a name for herself and, and live up to her ambitions. So can you explain how she came to you then? Because I'm guessing she wasn't in your first draft or maybe she was in your first draft. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She was. She was in my first draft. She was probably after Rita and Bonnie, who is the Rita's final victim, who also escapes the car crash. And then there's an FBI agent, Willow, and then it was Carol. So I knew I wanted this journalist to kind of, because I felt Rita, Rita is in prison for most of the book. So she needs someone on the outside to sort mm. of help her 
sort of do this investigation into her own life. And at one point I toyed with having her create this relationship with the FBI agent, but then I also knew I wanted her to have a really strong female relationship and a really strong female friendship. Um, and I think that's one, you know, that is a theme that runs through a lot of um, my writing, you know, what is going to be my book too, also has a strong female friendship in it. And so that's when I thought, okay, so she has this journalist who is other than the FBI, who are the people who put her in this place. And obviously being a Washington Post journalist at that time as a woman, she already had to be gutsy. And so that, I think that comes through a lot. And I think um, her kind of background, I, I wanted her to almost have a reason that she needs Rita as much as Rita needs her. And she starts to see something in Rita that's also as lost and confused as Carol's felt before, um, even though she's very confident on the outside. Um, and, you know, she is sometimes white passing and sometimes not. And in America at that time, although I think might not have got much better <laughs> anywhere, but, you know, that's affected so much of her life. And it's always made her kind of feel like she was on the outs of her own life, really. And I think she sort of understands in Rita this, I don't understand who I am. And they kind of figure it out together. Um, and so, and I think also Carol gets to this place where she starts to realize that, you know, maybe if the dice had fallen a bit differently, maybe she could be driven to doing something terrible. Maybe we all could be driven to doing something terrible if, if our upbringings or, you know, something else has happened that just kind of swifts you off path. Um, off path. And that's a fascinating pull within the story, isn't it? And I think as a reader, you're forever questioning Rita because she obviously has absolutely no memory of these awful things that she's been told that she's done. But because she's got no memory, we are, we're not sure as a reader either. And one of the, I suppose, uh, key components of her backstory is um, a religious cult, which we can't give too much away about, but <laughs> I'll say that this, uh, this kind of fringe group is a key element of the plot and we've already spoken um before we started recording about how much we both enjoy a good cult story and uh in our fiction or even in our non-fiction and uh I am absolutely enthralled by the one in your novel as well so tell me how you went about uh creating this cult and what you were inspired by even uh going back to kind of real life stories that you might have read um yeah so that is obviously the big the big sort of framing of Rita's character is her formative years in this in this cult and so it's, it is based on a real cult which actually I'm not going to say which one because the endings are similar um, <laughs> but um, I knew I wanted to base it on something real just so I felt that I was confident in the foundation I had in terms of like the religious beliefs and the daily life and all these things obviously I've not experienced in my life um, and so I thought I I wanted to especially make sure that what they were saying what brother Jeb who leads this cult what he's trying to what he wants from his followers how he runs the compound all of these things are believable because they were based on something truth mm -hmm. so even though obviously the story that comes from it is very fictional Rita's a fictional character her story afterwards is very fictional the basis of it um I really wanted to kind of knuckle down on and because they are two very different ideas you know this Christianity which I think especially growing up in the UK Christianity is just a very peaceful gentle C of E religion and then you know you find these 
weird manifestations of it where it's violence and anger and you know everyone's other and control and which you know I suppose we are starting to see that come out especially in America with some of the laws lately um but yeah especially control of women and how people can manipulate it um one of the other things I was interested in was sort of skirting around whether the leader knows he's manipulating people or whether he genuinely believes in what he's doing and I like to think with Jeb it sort of started out probably with the latter that he that genuinely thinks he was starting this for the right reasons but you know you get a bit addicted to power you get a bit mm. addicted to people everyone around you agreeing with you and doing what you say and and I suppose that's how these things grow and grow isn't it mm. um so yeah so I think um I think and also so Rita so we spoke before earlier about it's interesting as to why people join these cults but then actually Rita is the only member of the cult in the book who was born into it. And so she doesn't have any of this experience as to being manipulated to join or knowledge of the outside world for her. This is just her entire world. And I think that that um, was very important as well for her and what you know leads her to do whatever she ends up doing um, was a very important factor. And you mentioned, and we won't say which real life cult it's based on, but um, obviously the time and the setting is an important thing that inspired you and you said that for you learning that you could mix historical fiction with crime fiction was uh, a real inspiration for you so what made the 1960s your draw then because I guess this story could have potentially been set as a contemporary uh, psychological suspense novel so what made you want to go to America and what made you want to go to the 1960s? I, yeah, this is the question I get most, especially from like people <laughs> I know. Um, and I think, um, I think also, I, I think it surprises people because I think people don't necessarily associate sixties with historical. Mm. But um, for me, the answer is I'm, I'm genuinely just very interested in mid twentieth century history and in America, and it's it's what I focused a lot of my degree on. And so I kind of had this background, this basis of being very interested in it. Um, you know, it's such, the counterculture, those years, it's such a, a huge turning point in American history and is, the, I would say, some of the most important years that have affected where we stand today. And, you know, we see a lot of the same issues re like coming up again and, um, you know, Roe v. Wade and Black Lives Matter, all these things are coming back up again that have never really been solved. And we're getting the same sort of wave of youth and students and people you know, trying, you know, being activists and trying to, um, you know, try and solve these, you know, try and solve these issues and get equality and all these things that, you know, everyone deserves. Um, that I think is very interesting in terms of a reflection in modern society. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I'm interested in it. The other reason I think is, um, you know, I write for escapism and I've tried to write in modern times. I've sort of started a few I've sort of tried a few short stories and it just, you know, it didn't really feel like a big enjoyment for me. I was just like, I don't want to write about my own life, like doing this, that <laughs> and the other. Um, and so it feels like an extra, an extra level of my own, you know, being able to do that research, crafting a story that does really intersect with the setting. Um, you know, like we, you know, we spoke about how Carol's upbringing in that historical setting really formed so much of her character. Um, 
that I think it's um, a very interesting project for me to work on. Um, I have also been to the to America quite a bit and seen the southern states, so I hope that like some of the geographical descriptions are on point, <laughs> and I've hopefully got experience. Like, and it's not just Google imaging everything. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas, absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So I want to talk a little bit more about your process because we've, we've already mentioned that you're not a planner and um, the way you write can be a bit kind of you go with the flow you're a pantser we've established yeah um I also read a great piece that you wrote which I will add in the show notes afterwards um about how you fit your writing around your career so you're a chef and you've mentioned how cooking and your job really helps you with your ideas formation and kind of working through plot problems because you're making little notes on your phone as you go and you're kind of when you're on your break you can scribble away so can you tell us about how writing fits around your life and why cooking makes such a good companion to your writing life yeah I think a lot of it might also go in hand in hand with being a bit of a panster is that just stepping away from the laptop just gives yourself time to to breathe and allow the story to play itself out um so since I wrote that piece things have changed a little bit for me in that I'm not working in a kitchen anymore I sadly had to close my catering company at the beginning of the year after a terrible two years with COVID but I have got another exciting new job writing about food and drink which I love but I you know I have noticed that staring at a laptop for eight hours a day can really kill your creativity so I um you know I still love cooking and so I probably spend a couple of hours 
after I log off from work every day, still in the kitchen. Luckily, we still need to eat. So just cooking dinners and, you know, I spend the weekends kind of really just spending time over making a nice dinner. And especially when I'm writing, you know, so many, so many little plot points have just solved themselves in my brain because I'm not trying to think about it. Um, it also might, you know, I do listen to lots of true crime podcasts or true crime books. And I go, oh, that might be interesting, actually, in my little brain. And I note it down and like, read more about this, see if more about that. Um, but, you know, the other, so I'm kind of working on one at the minute, which is a classic murder mystery plot. And so that's why I'm having to give away, give up my pantsing ways and trying to like firm down a plot so I can write a mystery. And I was like, this isn't working. I don't know if they'd have done this like that. And I've got plot holes galore and then I was I was just cooking one day and I was suddenly like oh that's what it is and just like grabbed a pen and paper and just like wrote a post-it and it was like she did this not that and I was like great sorted thank you and then when you come back to the computer you know then there's that little nugget is just there and it sort of starts to build around it um but in terms of actually getting my words down I do it all in the morning I'm a big morning person um so I yeah we'll get up early hope 6am if I can do a couple of hours and then if I'm really like in the flow of it if it's a day off then I can just I can just write all day pretty much um and if I'm really in the flow of it on a work day then I'll come back to it um in the evenings but I feel like I'm sharpest in the morning and Mm. I do my best work in the morning um so I, I find it fits in like that. Um, and I think one of the most important things, which I, because I was in a job where I wasn't staring at a computer screen, I think taught me that just stepping away from it is the best thing you can do. So even now, if I am on a writing day, I'll just go and take the dog for a big long walk and be like, okay, that's two, three hours away from the computer. And you come back and go, oh, I can write 2000 more words much more quickly and efficiently and better than if I'd have just forced myself to like grind them out yeah absolutely I've spoken to so many writers that either walk the dog do gardening do some sort of other creative project is a really good way to give yourself the headspace away from your writing and I mean it's it's that cliche isn't it if everyone has their best ideas in the shower or cleaning their teeth it's when you're not thinking about it that things come to you and you can you can kind of you know solve your your plot problems while you're doing something else and I think I'm a big advocate for taking up a a hobby that takes your mind away from the screen or I mean because even when I don't know you might be different but when I'm reading I'm still thinking about my own work so that's not always the most relaxing hobby to have either (laughs) yes definitely and I'm thinking oh god they've done this structure really well actually that's a really nice metaphor that Mm. they've said like all of these (laughs) things are constantly going through your brain and also I think there's something to be said for like doing something with your hands because I know mm. that you sew don't you, you do yeah pasta. yeah it so that's why I think cooking is great like chopping vegetables and chopping herbs like doing something with your hands really kind of I don't know freeze up some other part of your brain because you're concentrating yeah. and not chopping your finger off or something <laughs> or in my case stabbing myself with the needle, stabbing yourself with happens, the needle. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm getting from our conversation that you have always wanted to be a writer and you said you've got kind of uh, uh, an early attempt at a novel stashed in a way just away in a folder somewhere so was your attempt at writing after everything you did kind of your first proper attempt at a novel or have you got other 
things hidden away that one day might see the light of day or or never see the light of day I have many hidden away I don't <laughs> think any will ever see the light of day um no I always so I and you know I'm sure like most people probably answer I've always enjoyed writing and stories and you know have uh, you know my mum's dug out a notebook of like a donkey story I wrote when I was eight all of that stuff that I think that everyone's got and it's like look and now I'm a published author um, <laughs> but I probably started writing quote unquote seriously but not really seriously because I wasn't really writing thinking I would ever be published uh, probably when I left uni and I just kind of you know it was the thing that filled my days it was like my it is still my meditation and so I probably have about four or five full-length manuscripts like hidden away there's probably bits of them that at some point I might go back to and go oh she was an interesting character or that's quite an interesting interesting story um which is another reason why the question about the 1960s setting I always find funny because most of the others you know I've got one set in World War II a couple set in the 40s another one set in the 60s and so I feel like I've, I've spent the last 10 years just like researching and writing about these <laughs> random, like these different settings and now everyone's like why the 60s I'm like I don't know I just got to it chronologically and like <laughs> kind of interest um so yes I have definitely got quite a few um but again I think this is the same thing as with my sort of not planning it ways I I am um, it's not maybe not the most efficient way to learn how to write but I never tried basically I never really tried to learn when I started writing I just kind of wrote because I loved it and slowly very slowly over the years would go okay I understand you know and I also as you read as I read more I realized, oh, actually, that's probably a better way to do it. So I understand why this one was a bit crap. And mm. and so I just slowly worked out things that were better. And each manuscript seemed to be better than the last. Um, but so what <laughs> what made this what made this one the one then? When what what point did you think, okay, this is something special. I'm gonna have to do something with this. So I um I suppose two things. I had so I'd come up with the idea of it and I sort of got into a point um, in my life that I just sort of thought maybe if I do want to take writing seriously I should do something about it so I applied for the Curtis Brown creative course um, and got on and this had been so I think that was one of the things is that I just sort of got to a point in my life where I thought well why not I'm already doing it so why not do a course and at the you know worst comes to the worst it's just interesting and I get to meet some of the writers and that was very much my attitude going into it um I also think with this one I had sort of written and shelved so many before that I'm I'm quite comfortable with the idea of on one level of nothing happening with it and of giving up and just be like okay what will my next thing be but then there was there was a bit of a niggling voice in me saying I don't think this is that bad like it's not that bad and so I kind of thought, I, I think I'm the worst person at just everything I attempt. And so I thought, if even I'm saying it might not be that terrible and I might want to read it as a reader, what's the worst that, that could happen? I mean, I have submitted over the years, like, you know, when I'd finished one of these manuscripts and I'd like submit it to one agent and be like, no, fair enough. It probably, I probably <laughs> deserve to be taken on. And so this was maybe the, and I think being on the course helped that as well. It was the first time anyone had ever read anything I'd written. I'd never sent anything out to anyone before. Um, and so to have other writers read it and give feedback and encouragement was really good. And so 
I kind of thought, okay, this is this is the one. Let's treat it like a career, a job interview. I'm applying for jobs. You sit down and you know you tick off the jobs you like that you want to apply for, and and you know the agents that I wanted, and and it, yeah, and I it was very encouraging. I I think I sent it off to about six agents, and I had three three full oh four full manuscript requests, which was you know very encouraging. You know, bearing in mind obviously I'd only had four rejection letters before. Um, and so I think, yeah, I just started to see all these years of slowly working at it and slowly chipping away. They sort of came together and I thought, OK, maybe maybe this one's OK. <laughs> <laughs> and you're now published with um, Canelo Crime, which is an imprint of Canelo, which is, if anyone doesn't know, a very successful independent publisher of commercial fiction. Um, so tell us how your book deal came about. Um, so I had finished the course. So it was a three month course, which handily happened. It like started in March of 2020, which is also when I ended up stopping working. So I ended up having a lot of time to, to kind of work on, on the novel and, and work on the course. Um, and so I finished the first draft after sort of four, four or five months or something, and then put it away and came back to do edits, um, sort of midway through 2020 and then started sending it out to agents towards the end of 2020. Um, and as with everything in publishing, it takes forever before you start to get responses from anyone. And I slowly was having full manuscript requests trickling in and you go, oh, it's got my manuscript request and you send it off. And then you're like, oh, no one's getting back to me still. Um, and then my agent, Claire, sent me an email that, and I remember I woke up at like, 6am because I've got work doing breakfast shift somewhere and um, this was the very beginning of 2021 so we were still in lockdown and I'd managed to get breakfast shifts and I woke up at like 5am and got this email that she'd sent at 2am saying I've not stopped reading I've just put it down can we arrange a zoom about for representation and I like poked my boyfriend and he was like well, what's happening it's 5am and no one's working why are you waking me up and I was like someone wants, might want to represent me um, and so and then I had a call with Claire and she took me on which was great and very exciting um, and she's also she was also a really exciting person to talk to because she is from the Liverpool Literary Agency which is the first agency in the north and I was one of her first clients um, and she it was a bit daunting because I was kind of like oh like can you get me a deal? But then she came to the meeting, she already had publisher interest just from her kind of informal chats with commissioning editors. So I was like, right, this is great. Um, and then, yeah, and then we went out on submission. We didn't really do many edits um, before going on submission. And we went out on submission and then there was a bit of, we had a bit of a like, what genre is it kind of? <laughs> Who do we submit to? Like, are we going for crime? Are we going for psychological? And we seem to find, well, we, me, when Claire had the idea, we sort of found the stride when we started going towards the more literary side of it. It's not literary mm. fiction, but it's also not a fast paced kind of um, thrill, like kind of thriller that you can read in one sitting. Um, and so, yeah, and then it just, you know, I suppose as these things do, went quiet for two months maybe. And then I was, I just had a, a catch up with her, not meant to be about anything in particular. So I thought that she would always just like call me or email if we got anything in. And so she started this Zoom and said, 
so we've had an offer and I think we're going to have a second one coming in and I was I was not prepared for any of that um and so yeah we ended up with two offers which was very exciting and then I picked Canelo um Louise is a really really good editor I really liked her her ideas for the book and um everything that she said in all my edits I was like yes you're right you're absolutely right this is brilliant please only ever like write my books for me in future <laughs> well it's great when you get an editor that you feel is like your perfect match so I'm really pleased that you found yours so I was wondering yeah. whether you could give us some novels that you might like to compare yours to things that if people have enjoyed them then they'll enjoy after everything you did um, yeah, I, I always feel like I'm I'm really bad at this kind of comparing thing. But my publisher, as I mentioned before, they and Claire as well have compared it to Girl A meets the girls, which I think is exactly spot on, basically, in terms of sort of the character and story really coming through from Girl A. Um, and then the setting and also, again, some of the story from the girls, because, you know, 60s and the Colton you know, young women getting caught up in these kind of religious fanatical spaces. Um, and so I think they are, yeah, they are very good kind of comparisons mm. for it. Um, yeah. I also think, so I, I love the truth about the Harry Quibet affair, which also has a kind of a troubled girl from in, set in the 70s in it. And I think there's that kind of mm, sort of, marrying as well um not the same kind of story not the same kind of book but definitely in terms of character I think I think there's a sort of comparison to be made mm. yeah I think those are good comparisons definitely I can see the uh the girls and girl they uh similarities within your novel as well so I was wondering whether you could share with us your top three tips for writers who are approaching their first novel or perhaps they've already started um, yeah, it's always a funny one because I, I just feel like, you know, people write write so differently and everyone's got their own um, own kind of method. I, I would say number one would probably be don't just don't stop writing. Um, and then sort of connected to that is sort of forget about writing for publication, because that way, you know, if I'd have just been, oh, I'm going to write to get a book published, I'd have stopped 10 years ago because I first wrote a book 10 years ago and it obviously wasn't wasn't going to be good enough. So I think you know, if you have the love of it, it's one of those things that you do it for, you do it for free for so long. So if you get a, ever get published and paid for it, then it's a, a nice bonus. So I think keep going. Um, and I do sort of genuinely believe that anyone who is writing and keeps writing and actively trying to engage with what they're writing and trying to improve it and reading books and figuring out which bits work in those books that aren't working in their own thing and being very self um what's the word but being very self-critical but not too critical then you I think you will get there um but it might just take a very long time so definitely just always keep writing because also if you want to get published you're gonna to have to keep writing forever anyway if you want a nice <laughs> so you're gonna to have to keep doing it um I think in more times of practical things I always find writing prompts online are always fun if you're in a bit of a slump I know that I found when I've kind of written the end of a first draft and I'm like all right I'm going to put it in a drawer for a few months before I come back to editing it and I still have the itch of wanting to write I you know it's fun to go on and find a writing prompt and just even just like writing the opening of something mm. or you know attempting I'm not very good at short stories but just like attempting them or you know I've got quite a few openings on my laptop and one of them now I've actually think I think I've fleshed it out and I think I could make it into a novel um 
so just kind of I suppose free writing and writing prompts is is always a and it takes the pressure off a little bit so you don't think right I'm on 1,000 words of 90,000 words you're just kind of like let's see what happens and if you turn it off you know you stop writing after 3,000 words and that doesn't matter you might come back to it in a few years time um and then the third one I think I've always found helpful if I'm kind of actively writing it you know I'm in the depths of writing my novel and um I'm stuck on like a scene or you know I kind of know where I need to go but I'm not entirely sure how to get there or or I'm just in a bit of a slump I'm a bit tired or whatever I always find I think I, I read this somewhere just write the minutia it might it will probably get edited out but as soon as you start to like ground yourself and put yourself in it and you go okay so what's she doing she sat on a chair has she got a cup of coffee maybe she's got a cup of coffee with her how does she like her coffee oh has someone come to the door and has this happened and has a bird just flown by the window and like all these boring things and then before you know it you're kind of back in there and then they they're going and doing the thing you want them to do to make the story go forward because you can always delete those things mm. That's that, I've never heard that advice before, but that's really interesting. I'll have to give that one a go myself because like you say, sometimes when you get stuck, you're just, and particularly when you're being very critical of yourself, it's hard to get out of it, but that's yeah. a good method to try there. So yeah. I was wondering, finally, can you give us a little tease about what you're working on now and what, you work, what your next book's going to be? Um, so my next book with Canelo, which will be out early next year, um, is still in edits so I won't say too much um but so it's set in 80s Hollywood and it's a uh, set in a creepy old house owned, owned by an eccentric heiress who is also possibly a bit dangerous and Ooh. a bit mad but has this very sort of glamorous mad kind of world that she inhabits I love that you're working your way through the decade. So maybe book number three is going to be early noughties. Something like I, that. I, I'm just waiting <laughs> for it. I'm going to bring back all my like childhood memories. <laughs> like zigzag hair partings and stuff. Oh, amazing. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Stephanie, for joining me on the podcast today. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> that was Stephanie Soden talking about her psychological suspense novel, After Everything You Did, which is out now and available to buy. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it'd be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.